Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. All right, as I stated just a moment ago, we are in a series right now that we're simply calling more than a story. I'm super excited about this series, and hopefully you are as well. We're taking some of the Old Testament stories. Perhaps you grew up in church, and you remember those moments in Sunday school class where the teacher brought the story to life for you, whether that was on a flannel graph board, or maybe you had a puppet in your classroom, and the, and the little crazy puppet was telling the story of Adam and Eve, or whatever it happened to be. Our desire in this series is to not just retell the story, and sure, we're going to have to do that to lay some foundation and some groundwork, but we're going to really dive in and say, God, what can we learn from this story? So over the last several weeks, we've done just that. We've jumped into God's Word. We've really taken a look at several of the very basic stories of God's Word. And I hope that by this point, you're grabbing a hold of something, that that there's tangible aspects to God's Word. Because I truly believe that every story, every adventure, every drama-filled moment can be applied if we allow it to do so. Why do I say can be? Well, we could just come in here on a Sunday morning, or we could just open up the Bible and we could read the story as if it's just a story to listen to, and it can have zero impact on our lives. That's an option that we have. But I don't believe that God gave us the Word of God. I don't believe that we have the 66 books that create the scriptures that we call the Bible. I don't believe that we have all of this information just for it to be a story to tell. I truly believe it's been given to us because God desires for it to be more than a story. So today, we're going to move into chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. Here we find a man by the name of Jacob and his family, or really, more specifically, we're going to talk about Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. Joseph and the amazing, colorful coat that daddy gave him. So let's take a look at our text. It's found in Genesis 37, verses 3 through 5. It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. But one night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. And as we look at the story, as it begins to unfold, I realized that there was so much material in this story that it was seemingly impossible to cover every detail in one week. Truth be told, we could spend an entire series, four, five, six weeks, just on the life of Joseph. But today, I'm going to do my absolute best to kind of narrow it down just a little bit for you. 
So as we saw in our text for today, there was conflict in Joseph's life. He was his father's favorite. But that came at a cost. He was daddy's boy. He was daddy's favorite. But his brothers hated him. They couldn't find a nice thing to say about him. This led to many issues. Hatred, dreams, death threats, slavery, sorrow, jail time, royalty, famine, and in the end, forgiveness. So I want to take a look at how it all started. Take a look this morning at Genesis chapter 37. And throughout the morning, I'm going to read a few different sections of Scripture just to give us some foundation that we're going to continue to build upon. Genesis chapter 37, beginning verse 5, says this, One night Joseph had a dream. You remember this? We just talked about the dream. When he told his brothers about the dream, what did they do? They hated him even more. So one night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to his dream, he said. We were out in a field tying up bundles of grace. Suddenly my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed down before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream had meant. This led to a seemingly downward spiral, so it seemed. But how many of you know, as we discussed just last week, God always has a plan. Come on, I know I had you do this last week, but let's do it again this morning. Look at your neighbor today and say, God always has a plan. Those of you that are watching online, right now in the chat, even if you wrote it last week, put God always has a plan. God knows what he's doing in your life. He knew what he was doing in Joseph's life as well. But let me bring you up to speed. Joseph's brothers go out in the field to take care of their father Jacob's sheep. So dad sends Joseph out to check on them. And as he is in this pursuit, as he is going to find them, they see him in a distance. And what do these loving brothers begin to plan? A party for Joseph, right? Oh, here comes our brother. Let's have a fun time with our brother. No, 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 no. They were scheming on ways to kill their brother. That sounds like a great moment, doesn't it? You got to love brothers like that. 
They were looking for ways and discussing ways that they could eliminate their brother, daddy's favorite little boy, from the picture. As he approached closer, another one of his brothers, Reuben, stepped in and showed some mercy, and he convinced the others not to kill Joseph, but to throw him in an empty cistern, which oftentimes would hold water, a water reserve. But soon after, a group of Ishmaelite traders came by, and the brothers decided, rather than leaving Joseph in the cistern to die, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. That was done, and they began to rip up his coat. They placed blood from an animal on it, and they told their father that a wild animal had attacked Joseph and had killed him. Now, the Ishmaelite traders took Joseph and they sold him to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Joseph became a slave. But again, look at your neighbor today. Put in the chat, God always has a plan. God looked at the situation and he's not up in heaven going, what are we going to do? I wasn't expecting this. I gave the boy two dreams. I knew what was going to happen. The whole world was going to bow before him. I have a plan. And now this? No, 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 no. God always has a dream. Now keep in mind, every step of the way, God was with Joseph. Even in the moments when everything looked bleak. When everything, everything seemed to be falling apart, God was right there molding and shaping the plan for Joseph's life. That's where I want to pick up our story today. I'm going to challenge you. Take really, really good notes. I'm going to give you three very basic points. That I believe that at some point in time in the message today, there's going to be something that is applicable to every single one of us, not only in this room, but those of you that are watching online today, every single one of you today can, in some aspect, connect with what we're talking about in Joseph's life. Number one is this. Integrity is vital in all circumstances. Come on. Integrity is vital in all circumstances. Now, this is important for us to grab a hold of. Sometimes we want to have integrity when it's convenient. It's easy to have integrity when everybody's watching, right? You guys are quiet today. It sounds like you're all online. <laughs> it's easy to have integrity when eyes are upon you. But here's what we've got to grab a hold of. Integrity is not just those moments when everybody is watching. Integrity is those moments when no one's around. You see, the Old Testament is packed full of individuals that had to choose to trust God in the midst of difficulty. Joseph was one of those. Mind you, it would have been easy for this individual who had received two prophetic dreams like Joseph did to suddenly begin to question why all of this was happening. 
After all, the dream said nothing about being thrown into a cistern. The dream said nothing about being sold into slavery. Then when he gets to Potiphar, there's this great roller coaster of events. Come on, look at this. Go to chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, God's with Joseph. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's house. Come on, let's talk about that just for a moment. When you're walking in integrity with God, come on, it's not just going to affect your personal life. It's going to overflow into the lives of those around you. Come on. Come on, we see that happening in Joseph's life. Joseph is moving forward in integrity. He's being a man after God's heart. He's honoring the Lord. He's consistent in his approach. And the Bible says that as Joseph was a man of integrity, God blessed him. And as he continued in the integrity, the blessing was not just on Joseph, but it overflowed to those in Potiphar's house. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Come on, those are important things of life, right? What am I going to eat? So every step of the way, God was showing favor to Joseph. God was with him every moment. Potiphar was pleased with him. Everything seemed great. Now, I know some of you were thinking, Pastor, I thought you said it was a roller coaster event. Enter Potiphar's wife. Here's where the drama unfolds. If you keep reading in the Word of God, it says later on in verse 6 that Joseph was handsome. He was a well-built young man. Verse 7 tells us that Potiphar's wife began to lust after Joseph day after day after day. She would pressure him, come sleep with me, she would say. In fact, one day, it got so intense that she grabbed him by the cloak, demanding that he sleep with her. With that, Joseph slipped out of his cloak, and he fled the scene. She then proceeded to hold the cloak up, declaring and lying, stating that Joseph attempted to rape her. With this news, Potiphar was furious with Joseph. He threw him into prison. Now, does that seem fair? No. Now, so here's the roller coaster of events. But remember, God always has a plan. So two things that I noticed about Joseph. Number one, Joseph was re resilient. He was resilient in the face of adversity. 
He remains solid, a solid force, even when opposition came his way. When his brothers sold him into slavery, he did not waver. When lies were set against him, he remained strong. Even when he faced prison time for false charges, he did not give in. He did not compromise. He did not throw in the towel, but he remained faithful to God. Now, in this situation, it would have been easy for Joseph to justify some actions. It would have been easy for him to give in to Potiphar's wife. No one else was around. He could have said something like this. Well, I'm actually considered a servant, and Potiphar is my boss. And so technically, if Potiphar is gone, then his wife's in charge. And if she tells me to do this, well, I've got to do it. He could have justified his behavior. And I wonder how often... Do we justify our actions just to make ourselves feel better in the moments? Well, I didn't get an amen on that one. (laughs) How often do we look at the situation and go, well, you know, I just had to do it because, well, this situation was going on and it just kind of worked out, and so that's what it is. And I wonder... What's that step of obedience? What's that that step of integrity look like in your life? One of our core values as a church is we value integrity at all times. We have integrity at all times. Look at this. Joseph ran from the temptation he ran from the moment the bible doesn't say well he casually took off his jacket and, and slowly walked out of the room no 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 he slipped out of his cloak and he ran for his life he didn't pause and, and try to talk her out of this he didn't try to have this conversation and process no he ran away now the bible tells us in james chapter 4 verse 7 that if we will humble ourselves before god if we will resist the devil, that in turn, Satan has to flee from us. And I'll tell you, I can't wrap my brain around how many times we have these encounters and we, we just have that little pity party moment. We just kind of curl up in a ball and, you know, sulk in the moment. God says, if you'll just get up and resist, God has given us an authority to stand upon. Come on. When you find yourself in a moment of temptation, don't walk away. Run. Run. Because of Joseph's resilience, the Bible says this in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, God was with Joseph. In the chat, put, he was with Joseph. God was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Now, why was God with Joseph every step of the way? Well, our second point is this. Joseph maintained integrity at all times. Why is that important to point out today? 
Why is it important for us to take notice of the fact that he remained, remained with integrity at all times, in good times and in bad times? Because it shows a level of consistency within Joseph's life. Again, integrity is not just doing what's right when others are around, but it's doing what's right when no one is around. He rose to a high level of authority and the blessings of God were flowing. Joseph was full of integrity when he faced uh, compromising options. He was full of integrity when he was in prison for false charges. He was full of integrity. You also see the influence of integrity affecting those around him. He found favor with God. After all, the Bible declares that we are to be holy as God is holy. Some people read that and they think, well, that means we've got to be perfect in every way. No, 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 no. If you keep reading the Bible, it also says that we all stumble, we all fall short of God's glory. There's going to be moments where we make mistakes, but our goal, the drive in our lives, what moves us forward should be a desire, a longing to be holy, to be set apart, to be different from the world around us. When somebody sees you, they should be able to look at you. Come on, have you ever seen that person and you already know, without even really talking to them, you know they follow Jesus? Come on, have you ever seen that person? Yes. Do you see that person when you look in the mirror? If not, what needs to change? Is there a level of consistency in your life, in good times, in bad times? Is the desire of your heart, is the striving of your life, is the purpose in your pursuits, is that to be holy, to be set apart, to be different, to be consistent in your walk with Christ? So here's your question. Very simple yes or no question. Does integrity shine in your life at all times? Yes or no? Well, pastor, I will if I did. No, yes or no? Now, sometimes I have you rate yourself 1 to 10, but I thought this was too important. We've got to identify yes or no, because we could easily justify ourselves and say, well, about 7% of the time or 70% of the time, so I'm going to give myself a good 7 that's not bad. That's a C. That's average. Or we can compare ourselves to somebody else. Well, I have more integrity than they do. Come on. Come on. How quickly do we point fingers, right? No, no, no. I'm not asking about somebody else. I'm not asking on a scale. I'm asking yes or no, black or white. Does integrity shine in your life? Here's a clincher. At all times? Yes or no? If these answers no, then, then what needs to change? What needs to be adjusted in your life? You see, integrity is vital in our pursuit to God. The second lesson that we can learn from Joseph in this roller coaster um, moment in his life is we've got to allow your gifts to be used by God. Allow your gifts to be used 
by God. As we stated a few moments ago, God was with Joseph even in the midst of his prison sentence, and God continued to use him. So when it comes to your life, honestly, it's no different. God may have a desire, and I believe he does have a desire to utilize you in even the most unexpected location. Did you know God can use you in the middle of Walmart? Some of you are like, "Uh uh-uh, he can. God can use you in Dollar General. By the way, I know it's not Dollar General. I know it's Dollar General. I thought of that the other day because I say Dollar General all the time because it's really funny. And and I thought, I wonder if people actually think I call it Dollar General and I call it Walmarts. I don't, no. God can use you in the most unexpected location. Therefore, it's vital that we make ourselves available to God's plan and God's purpose. After all, God has a plan. So while Joseph was in prison, two other individuals that were once serving Pharaoh were there as well. The the chief cupbearer and the chief baker were there as well. Now, both of these gentlemen, the cupbearer and the the baker both had dreams and they struggled to figure out what their dreams could mean. Insert Joseph. God chose to use Joseph even in this moment in prison on trumped up charges to interpret the dreams of these two former servants of Pharaoh. Joseph begins to lay out what they mean. The cupbearer would receive favor from Pharaoh, would be reinstated to his position, yet the baker, the chief baker, wasn't so fortunate. The chief baker would soon be killed just three days later. So Joseph asked the cupbearer, he says, would you do me a favor if everything plays out just as God has shared with you, would you remind Pharaoh that I'm here? Would you do me that solid today? Unfortunately, the cupbearer forgot. Again, how many of you know God has a plan? Just thought I'd remind you of that this morning. Two years later, here comes Pharaoh. He has this dream, and nobody can explain to Pharaoh what this dream is. And suddenly the chief cupbearer goes, oh, yeah. (laughs) There's this guy in prison, and he can interpret dreams, and maybe we should get Joseph up here. Maybe, Pharaoh, he can tell you what your dream means. So they go and get Joseph. Joseph comes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, here's the problem. This is beyond my ability. I can't do this. But God can. Come on. But God can. God can share with you what this dream truly means. And he proceeds to tell Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of prosperity with the crops. But that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. What does Pharaoh do? He appoints Joseph in charge. No one would have a higher ranking besides Pharaoh. Because of Joseph's faithfulness, his consistency, his integrity toward God, 
God poured out a blessing once again on Joseph's life. Take a look at what it says in chapter 41. It said, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Come on. From prison to palace. Come on, don't tell me that God doesn't have a plan. God knows what he's doing. God wasn't caught off guard. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for the second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name. By the way, if I was Joseph, I would have preferred Joseph. The name is Zapanath Paneah. How many of you would have preferred Joseph? He also gave him a wife. That's not a bad gig. Her name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land. Now, here's the interesting thing that we need to note. Joseph's new name, some say, simply means God speaks and lives. Come on, Pharaoh wasn't necessarily a God-fearing individual. But in this moment, because of Joseph's consistency, because of Joseph's integrity, because of the life that Joseph lived on a daily basis, Pharaoh, the man in charge, gives Joseph a brand new name that simply means God speaks and lives. So what can we learn from this? Well, what I see that in every area of our lives, it's vital that we as Christians, that we use our influence for God's glory. Joseph could have said, man, I can tell you what the dream means. I've done this before. This is, this is one of my giftings. I'm skilled in this. I can take credit. No, 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 no. What did Joseph say? This is beyond my ability. I can't do this on my own, but God can. He began to give God glory in the moments, and in return, the favor of God was upon Joseph. Here's your question for this point. Are you willing to use your influence for God's glory more than self-gain? Yes or no? Are you willing to use your influence more for God's glory? To say, you know what, I, I can't do that. That's beyond my ability, but, but with God's help, with, with God stepping in, with, with God speaking into the situation, God can do this. Our third point is this. We must learn to forgive even when you're right. That's hard. That's hard. Joseph had to learn 
to forgive. Imagine with me. Come on. Go back to the early part of this message. His brothers hated him, couldn't say a nice thing about him. They were planning to kill him. So instead of killing him, they were going to throw him into the cistern just to die. Hold on to that. Seven years of prosperity goes by. And now they're in the midst of this time of famine. No doubt, Joseph had to suspect that at some moment, at some point, at some time, that his family would need to come and get some grain from Pharaoh. So Joseph had a choice. He can pass on the same blessing to his family that he gave in Potiphar's house to those in prison and now to the nation of Egypt, or he can punish them for what they did wrong to him. Fortunately, Joseph chose to show grace. He showed patience. He showed mercy. You can read the full account in chapters 42, 43, 44, and 45, but suffice it to say there was drama, there were tears, there were tests, there was trust, there was fear, and forgiveness. Everything that is needed for a great story transpired in those few chapters. For some time, Joseph hid his identity from his brothers, but through it all, they came to this place of repentance. Look what it says in chapter 45. Joseph could, could stand it no longer, there were many people in the room, and he said to the attendants, Out, all of you! So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly, I mean, ugly crying moments. So loudly, the Egyptians could hear him. Word of it quickly carried through Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph. He said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will neither be neither uh, plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. In essence, he says, God has a plan. And here's what I've discovered about God's plan. God's plan it's redemption in broken relationships. How does that start? Colossians chapter 3 tells us this way, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. 
Is that easy? No. It's not always easy to forgive when you're right. But we're not just to forgive, but to forgive quickly, to forgive completely, not partially, not half-heartedly, but to completely forgive. See, I've discovered that forgiveness is more about our state of mind than it is the other person. It's got to be a change on the inside of us. Merriam-Webster defines forgiveness as to cease to feel resentment against or pardon. Now, if we truly pardon someone, you're not holding on to that wrong any longer. They've been set free. I want you to think about your relationship with God. You say, Lord, would you forgive me? I've messed up. I know that the wage is what I deserve because of the life that I live. According to the Bible, what I deserve is separation from you. What I deserve is an eternity in hell. Would you forgive me? And in that moment, God removes that sin from our lives. And the Bible says he cast it as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Pardoned. Forgiven. Nothing is held on to. And here the Bible says that the way God forgives is the way that we've got to forgive to cease to feel resentment. When we forgive someone that's treated us wrong, we must forgive them completely to pardon their wrongs. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. Now here's a statement that sometimes is difficult to swallow. You will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. Wow. That's God's plan for you. Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not plans for destruction. Not plans for death. But plans for hope and a future. Jesus, while on the cross of Calvary, paying the ultimate price, looks upon those that have been spitting on him, those that have been ripping at his beard, those that have been placing the crown of thorns on his head, those that were mocking him. And I believe this same heart was displayed. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You will know that forgiveness is set in when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. After his father, Jacob's death, Joseph's brother sent him a letter asking, pleading, for his forgiveness. The Bible says that when Joseph received that letter that he broke down and he wept, and I love his response to these once cruel, hate-filled brothers. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me. 
but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Now in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking to the disciples about forgiveness, he says, guys, you've got to learn to forgive people 70 times 7. So they had asked him, how many times do I have to forgive these people? I mean, come on, look at how many times they, they're doing us wrong. How many times do I have to forgive them? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. If you do quick math, that's 490. That means at time, at time 491, I don't have to forgive. No, that's not what that means. No. Because honestly, by that point, we're not going to be keeping a little tally log. We're not going to remember, oh, we're at 491. What Jesus is getting at is we must learn to forgive no matter how many times somebody does us wrong, even if you're right. Some of you have been holding on to resentment, unforgiveness. been weighing upon you. On your outline, I ask this question. Who is it that God is calling you to forgive today? Who is it? The parent that mistreated you, that beat you? Spouse, ex-spouse that did you wrong? Coworker, former friend? Who is it? You've held on to that resentment. You've held on to that anger. The Bible says, just as the Father has forgiven you, you must forgive them. I'm not going to be naive and say, man, if you write their name down, it's going to be glorious from this point on. No, it's going to be day after day. You may need to recite that, Lord, today I choose to forgive. Tomorrow morning you get up, God, today I choose to forgive. Tuesday morning you wake up, God, today I choose to forgive. And would you believe that as you continue to walk through that process of forgiving and forgiving, eventually that becomes easier easier and easier and easier for you who is that who's God called you to forgive I told you this morning on the onset of this message that every one of us could somehow connect with Joseph's story there's some of you that this this idea of integrity you've kind of had this roller coaster of integrity and God saying it's time to be consistent there's others of you that you have a gifting you have something that God's laid upon your heart and God says I want to use you but I, I don't want you to to puff up thinking it's all about you I want to use you for my glory you gotta make yourself available yet there's others of you in the room today's the day that you get to forgive you get to move past that moment of hurts, that moment of resentment.
Would you bow your heads with me today? Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.